So, um, we're in uh, Matthew, as usual, this week, and um, that's only for a, a little while more, and then we've got Andy Kahn coming in a couple of weeks as well. Um, so, we're in Matthew chapter 20, if you've got a Bible, if you need a Bible, there are some over there for you to be able to follow along to check that, I'm not just making it up, but it is in there. And um, this morning's story, or parable, it's one of the parables Jesus tells, is one of those ones where, I don't know if you remember this a few weeks ago, Carl showed a video of, he was talking about kids when they grow up, and it was, I think it was Kevin, and he like, he becomes a teenager, and then he's stropping, he's like, oh, it's so unfair, as soon as he becomes a teenager. When I read this parable, or at least when I used to read this parable, that is exactly how I felt. I would read this parable, and we're like, oh, that sucks. This is rubbish. This is terrible. It's great if you're in one part of this parable, but if you're in another part of the parable, it's rubbish. And it's, it's the parable, um, and the, the story goes, if you like, where there's an owner of a vineyard, and he, he hires all these staff, and he, he hires some staff starting at six in the morning, which is the start of the working day, and they get, they get an agreed fee, and then he, he pays them their fee at the end of the day. But throughout the day, he starts going to get some more staff, and then at 5 p.m., with an hour to go, he hires, some, he hires some staff. And they get paid exactly the same amount as the people that have been putting a shift in since 6 a.m. And so you read that and you go, oh, it's so unfair. It's not fair. I don't understand. It's not right. And maybe even in our own work environment, sometimes we can feel a little bit like that. My very first job, other than a paper round, in fact, I worked two paper rounds. Uh, I know. Uh, apart from uh, my two paper rounds, the first job I worked was in a well-known high street shoe shop. I'm not going to name which one it is, uh, but yes, that's the one. Um, and um, I was, I want an ooh for this because it's very exciting, on a Saturday, head of ladies department <laughs> of selling shoes in the designer outlet at discounted prices. Uh, and that was my job, and I was on minimum wage. And uh, some of my colleagues, um, how can I put this, were less enthusiastic than me. Um, also, some of them had real difficulty telling the time and being there on time. And yet, because they were older than me, they got paid better because I was on minimum wage, which at the time was like, I don't know, £3.60 an hour or something. Probably. I can't remember. I thought that was a lot of money by then. And I was quite happy because I'd agreed to work for £3.60 an hour to sell shoes to lots of ladies. Um, and that was fine. Um, but what happened in that environment was comparison used to kill. Used to be, oh, these people are turning up late. These person are doing half a job. And they're getting double the pay I'm on because they're 25 and I'm... 16, I nearly said 12, that would be illegal. I was 16 and putting in a shift. It's so unfair. Life is so unfair. I cycle and everything to get here because I'm not old enough to drive a car. And I get here early and I leave at the crack of dawn and it's so unfair because I put a shift in and they don't do anything. And so what that did is it stole my joy. It made me not really want to sell shoes to ladies anymore. And you know, in, that, in the high-pressure environment of Clark's shoes, where they would push you to upsell everything, I didn't really want to sell the stuff that buffed out your shoe and made your leather look shiny. I think it's all a bit of a con anyway. But like, I just didn't want to do it. And so my stats like went downhill. And it was because comparison killed. 
And it was because I looked at other people and I thought, it's so unfair. Now, if I just got on with the job I was supposed to be doing for the agreed price I was doing at the time I was doing, I'd have been fine. But comparison kills. And this story that we see today, if we can read it in that way and it can destroy us because it can steal our joy, or we have to look at it from what God says and God is talking about how he's gracious and how this story is about being marked by grace. And actually, every single person in this story by God is treated better than they deserve. So it's not just, oh, they're getting a free ride and I'm not. But every single one of us is treated better than we deserve by God because he loves us. This is the parable. Let me read it to you, at least the first part. This is how it opens. It says, for the kingdom of heaven is like. So Jesus is trying to tell you through this story what it's like to be in his kingdom, what it's like to be with him. And so he uses the everyday activity of being in a vineyard. I mean, not so much for us today in Casadale Chesterfield. We're not a wine-growing region, are we? But like back in the day, this is what people would be doing. A master of a house went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. So he's out 5 a.m., something like that. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, so that is a day's wage. It represents a good wage for a day's work. He sent them into his vineyard. And then he went out about the third hour. So we just need to, I need to see this. The, the timings are the third hour equals 9 a.m. So the first shift, these first ones have been employed from six in the morning. If that makes you feel tired, well, I'm sure it did for these guys too. Then he went out in the third hour to get some more laborers to come and work into his vineyard. He went out into the marketplace and there they were standing idle. And he said, you go into the vineyard too and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went, going out about the the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, so that's the equivalent of the, if the working day finishes at six, he goes out at 5 p.m. to hire some more workers. And about the eleventh hour, he found others standing and he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? And they said to them, him, because nobody has hired us. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too. So that's the parable there's a master, he hires a bunch of people at different times for an agreed price. And then comes payday. When the evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the 11th hour, so they've done one hour's work, that's a, a push because they might have a commute as well, uh, each of them received a denarius, a day's wage. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more because the ones who were only there for an hour received a denarius. And they too received one denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house saying, their work only lasted one hour and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. 
So that's the parable. And just so we're all on the same page in this story that Jesus tells, the master, the owner of the vineyard, is God. Okay, so that's what's going on here. And the laborers, the people idle in the marketplace, those that are put to work are you and me. Okay, and the, the vineyard is representative of the kingdom of God. So those that start at 6 a.m. have found faith at some point in their life, but there's some who come in the 11th hour. They've lived their life. They've gone through the motions of their whole life, and they've got to whatever at age it is, and then they go, oh, I'm going to choose Christ right now, and that's perhaps the 11th hour in this story. That's what the story is going on, and the, the parable tells that some of those people who had been following God for a long time and working in the vineyard, weren't very happy that seemingly their reward was diminished in comparison to people who had just rocked up at the last hour. They grumble and they moan. We've served longer. We've done this. We've done that. Shouldn't we be paid better? And so the response of the master or the response of God is... Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? And so I was reading through this parable, and I was just thinking, there's a few things here that I think would be really helpful for us in just thinking about how does this story or this parable, like, how is it relevant for us today? Like, I doubt any of us here in this moment are workers in a vineyard, but it's more the principles that are actually there behind that. It's more getting to grips with the story itself and what Jesus is teaching. And I read this, and you can't escape from, like the main theme of the parable is, it's all about serving God. That's what Jesus is teaching. He's teaching there's great value in serving God. There's great value in, in coming to faith. And it's important that we do that, that we live for him, that we make a difference in this world. And of course, Jesus, as you carry on reading uh, Matthew chapter 20, you'll see uh, a mother's request is the next bit um, where there's a mum, Salome, who requests that her two sons be given pride and place in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus is like, you have no idea what you're asking for. You have no idea. This is what it looks like. And then there's this beautiful line, a famous line, where it's talking about how Jesus serves us even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This whole chapter is about us serving God and us serving one another and furthering the kingdom of God with the time we have on earth. That's what the parable is there for. That's what it speaks into. And actually, service and the way of the world, the way of the world is the superstar, isn't it? You know, oh, let's look to our footballers for our role models or our movie stars for our role models. Where Jesus here is saying it's about serving one another. It's the last shall be first. The lowest of the low, those that humble themselves, will be those who I will honor. And Jesus came, of course, to serve. And he served by laying his life down for us. And that's the model. That's, that's our default position as Christians, that we're people that are prepared to lay down our lives for one another to put the interests of others before ourselves. And we have a choice this morning, and I think it's the choice that's put in this parable of God comes to us whilst we're idle in the marketplace, doing our thing, and says, do you want in on this or not? And that's 
put to every single one of us. Do you want to be part of what I'm doing? Do you want to know me? Do you want to be part of this big story? Do you want new life? Do you want to serve me or not? And um, that's the question that's kind of put across, I think, in the parable. And if I had a choice, I think, if I was, honestly, even though you look at this parable, you might think it's really unfair. If I had a choice of which group of people I would be, whether it's the 6 a.m. guys or the, the 5 p.m. guys, I'd be the 6 o'clock in the morning. Because there's a beautiful verse in Ecclesiastes that talks about God places eternity in our hearts now. And I think that's why it's so important that there's the kids' work, and actually we need help with that <laughs> because there's so many of them. And actually my heart is that people will come to faith as early as possible, and that is simply because they get to walk longer with Jesus. And I think the longer you can walk with Jesus this side of heaven, the better. Because it's better. Like I look at my life before I knew Jesus and I compare it to now I know Jesus. My life isn't straightforward. But I tell you, I've got God with me, so it's infinitely better. And he's going to be with me forever. I'm never going to be apart from God. He goes with me in absolutely everything. So if you've got a choice of being the 6 a.m. guys or the 5 p.m. guys, go for the 6 a.m. guys. Let let that be your prayer. It's not unfair that they join a bit later. It's a good thing. It's a blessing. It's huge. But let's not defer a decision about following after Jesus till the very end of our life. Let's make a choice now. If Jesus is who he says he is, we've got a choice to make. Let's not defer it until a later date. Oh, it's all right. I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to, I'll, I'll try and satisfy my life with all sorts of kind of different things. Let's make a decision on whether we're going to, whether Jesus is who he says he is or not and do it right now. And this is, there's another observation here that I want to make, which means it's a bit urgent. There's no 12th hour. I don't know if you see that in the parable. There's like, he goes out. 6 a.m., he goes back, 9 a.m., he goes back, midday, he goes back, 3 p.m., he goes back, 5 p.m., and then it's the end of the day. He doesn't go back again, which means the 12th hour is too late to have made a decision for Jesus. There is a point where it will be too late for us to, to, to make a decision for Jesus. So there's no 12th hour for us. There's only an 11th hour, which means there should be an urgency about that. And, and that's why we don't wait on tomorrow. That's why a little bit later on, at the end of service, I'm telling you this now, but as I conclude this, we're going to worship together after I've spoken. But I want to give the opportunity for people to respond this morning, actually, and say, I'm not going to defer on who Jesus is anymore, but I'm going to respond and say, yes, I'm going to go for this. Now, that could be, oh, that's not my phone. That's good. Flipping out, that had me worried. Thinking my wife's going into labor and I'll carry on. Oh, man. That's giving me all right, a sweat on. <laughs> it wasn't even my ringtone, but it just got, oh. A little bit later on, I want to give you the opportunity to, res- don't do that to me, whoever that was, to respond in faith to say, I want to follow after Jesus. Because there will come a point where we have to make a decision on that. And uh, we want to do that now as opposed to tomorrow. So I'm just warning you now that that's going to come because I want to kind of put to you that actually making a decision for Jesus is not something that we want to put off. And you see that within this parable. There's a bunch of people which represents us that are stood in the marketplace. I want you to imagine Chesterfield on steroids. 
So, you know, if you've been to like Chesterfield Market on a Thursday, right? And it's the flea market. And there can be a bit of a Barney over, you know, if there was a proper bargain to be found, I think there would be some people like, you know, getting into a bit of a, you know, a scrap. There was a scrap in France recently. Did you see that? Was it Nutella? Was it Nutella? They lowered the price of Nutella and people were fighting. I'm like, I know Nutella's good, but I don't know if it's that good. Like, imagine that, right? It's like Black Friday, but in the marketplace. There's activity, there's hubbub, there's, there's atmosphere. And yet there's bunches of people that are kind of just sat there, idly waiting about. And it's a bit like us just going through the motions of life, going from one thing to the next thing, looking for satisfaction, thinking, oh, I'll find it in my next relationship. I'll find it in my next job. I'll, I'll feel like the universe will make sense all of a sudden. But it won't. And they're just kind of waiting, waiting for something else. And that represents us. And you read in this story that there's a bunch of people that have been in the marketplace all day. I don't know what they were doing, but they were just stood about all day. I mean, they could have been working on their CV, couldn't they? But apparently they weren't. They just stood idly about. And they say, but nobody's told us. How was I supposed to know there was a vineyard? In other words, how was I supposed to know there was a God? Or there is hope for me. There is opportunity for me. There is a new life for me. And Jesus earlier in this gospel has said, the harvest is is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Do you remember that? Jesus is saying there's bunches of people that are waiting to hear about Jesus. There's just got to be some people that are willing to do it. And that falls to those who are already in the vineyard. That falls to those that already know God. Because I believe that this church, this town, this nation needs a bunch of us as Christians that are willing to serve others and serve God and lay everything on the line for him. I think that's what it's going to take. It's not going to take fancy things and glitzy branding and all that kind of stuff, as good as it is. It's going to take people being willing to lay down their lives for one another. People being willing to say, I've got the best news ever and I love you and you need to know about this. It's all about how we serve and it should inspire us to serve. And that can be in multiple ways. That can be, I'm going to serve in church because I want to get involved in this because I want to see people come to faith in Jesus. It can be, you know what, Christians Against Poverty doing an amazing work and I want to get alongside those that are struggling with that and be a blessing to them. Can I just encourage you, if you're sat here today and you're part of the church family, to serve in some capacity, to get involved, to crack on in some way, shape or form. And if you don't know what that is, come and talk to me and we'll get you plugged in in an area of the life of the church. And it's not just in Sundays, it's being willing to lay down our lives for the kingdom of heaven every single day because God chooses to use us. Isn't that amazing? God would use me? Flipping heck. God would use you? Wow. In order to do his work. So first of all, we've got to serve. Second thing I see here is we've got to work hard. We've got to be prepared to work hard. Now, I want you to hear me on this. I'm not saying the harder we work, the the more we'll be saved. That's not how it works, but it's this. If God so loved us, if God has given his son, if Jesus loves us so much, Isn't the least we can do in response to that, give everything, right? Not to earn salvation, not to earn God's favor, but because he's worth it. If God is God and Jesus loves us so much, we can't just be like, I'll give you my bare minimum, mate. (laughs) It's got to be about giving 
everything. I want you to notice here the story. They are called laborers in the vineyard, not loiterers in the vineyard. They're not loitering. They're busy. (laughs) They're cracking on. They're doing kingdom work. They're working hard. They're going the extra mile. And like, as I've said before, there is loads of things. And as church grows and develops, because we want to do more stuff, right? We want to have a greater impact, a greater influence. That for, people, for more people to come into contact with Jesus, it takes more of us getting on board with that, doesn't it? And I truly believe this, that like, there will be people that you know, that you are the only Christian that they know. You have an amazing opportunity to showcase who God is through the way you love them through the way you serve them, through the way you work hard and don't cut corners and don't cheat people and work hard at work and you're there on time and all those kind of things. They put, it forms a picture of the kind of character of people that follow after God. So I think there's stuff about serving there, there's stuff about working hard as Christians. I think there's something huge here about carrying a thankful heart. When you read through that parable, if you, were the, if you were the 5 p.m. workers and you've been given a denarius for working for one hour, how would you feel? How would you feel? Jackpot. Can I do this every day? <laughs> this is amazing. I'm not even going to come to the marketplace till 4.59 tomorrow. Because if this is happening tomorrow, this is awesome. Because those guys have been at work all day. They would carry a thankful heart. It's interesting that the 6 a.m. guys don't. But they should do, because actually they're given what they agreed to. They're not shortchanged. The owner of the vineyard has still been incredibly generous to them, has still been kind, has still been gracious, and yet they're unhappy and they're grumpy. Now I'm going to put this to you. If the 5 p.m. guys hadn't have turned up, if the 3 p.m. guys hadn't have turned up, do you think the 6 a.m. crew would have been happy? I think they'd have been delighted. So what was it that took away their delight? It was comparison to other people. And comparison to other people is going to steal your joy. Comparing yourself to other people, oh, look at that person, they're so blessed, I don't have that, is going to steal your joy. It's going to rob you of your joy in God. So you think, oh, I wish I was like that person. Well, it's not about that, is it? It's about you in your walk with God, and we have to, as people, carry a thankful heart. The problem for the guys that were grumbling was they were so blinded by self-interest and thinking, oh, I deserve a bonus because I've worked for longer, that they missed that they'd been blessed at all. They were so blinded by it, they'd missed that they'd been blessed at all. And it meant that they resented other people. It meant that they had no compassion for those that came later. Isn't it? It's a bit tragic, that, isn't it? That they were like, oh... Actually, I don't like you guys because you've been paid the same as me. Instead of like, wow, that's so amazing that you've joined the family too. Wow, that's so amazing that you've been blessed of God too. Come on, this is amazing. This is exciting. That should have been their heart. But it wasn't because they were blinded by self-interest. I'm going to say this. You will be free to serve God when you're free from comparison. You'll be free to serve God when you're free from comparison. When you're free to go, this is who I am. These are the gifts God's given me. And you're not comparing yourself to Joe Bloggs. But you're saying, I'm going to give my all in how God's created and made me beautiful in order to worship him. 
until we have that, until we have that peace, I, I just think we're going to be ineffective in our mission, ineffective in communicating joy, ineffective in communicating hope to people. Because people will just see grumpiness. People would, you know, there's Christians, aren't there? Some Christians, maybe it's a stereotype, have got a, a reputation for being grumpy. I, I just don't think that's something that should mark the church. Yes, there's times where life is hard, but I don't think we should be grumpy. And this is coming from someone that had a nickname of Mr. Grumpy. This is, for, this is coming from someone that's had to work really hard. Go, actually, no, I, comparison kills. My brother got married in, uh, I'll tell you this story because it's quite funny. And it was sad at the same time. Not that my brother got married, that was amazing. Brother got married in November and I was uh, one of his best men because he couldn't choose between me and my other brother. So you can have best men now, you can have more than one. And, um, but comparison kills. Um, and uh, we were doing those duties and, you know, church was starting. And my brother that I was doing it with, Simon, he, he used to kind of follow after God wholeheartedly, but he's, he's gone his own way now and he's, he's not really interested in faith and God and all that kind of stuff, which grieves me and obviously because I want him to know Jesus. And uh, we were at the church and uh, before the service, as guests are coming in, we want some background music on. We want some Christian-like worship music happening. And so there's this lady, it's an Anglican church um, over in Lancashire. I think she's called the church warden. I think that's her role. Um, so she's paid, okay? She's paid to be there. It's not as if she's volunteering. She's paid to be there. And um, she was so grumpy. And uh, we had the music on, but it was like mind-blowingly loud. That as you come in, you couldn't even be greeted by the ushers to bride or groom. You couldn't even have that little conversation because the music was so, I mean, it was good, good noise, but it was so loud. So we kindly asked said lady if she could turn it down, um, which the response was, okay. So she turned it down. And you know when you've got someone's back up, I don't know if you've ever had this. We, me and Grace have this in the car, right? We can be, I can be like driving. And if I'm driving, I think it's fair that I can listen to music that I want to listen to. Just putting that out there. And the volume's like on like 20, let's say. And I'm like, actually, it's a bit, it's a bit loud. Can we turn it down? Because she's like cranked it up to 20. And so she'll turn it down to 19. <laughs> I'll be like, come on, we've got to get to at least 16 here for this to make a difference. You've only done it by one. And anyway, we need to have it on even numbers. So we've got to go down to 18. You can't just leave it on 19. It just makes me feel uncomfortable. And... Um, <laughs> It was like that, so she turned it down, but she must have done like, with like a little finger gone, eh, and it made no difference, and she wandered off. So then we asked her a second time, could you please turn down the music? By this point, she's fuming. She's like, I have already done it once. Why should I have to turn down the music again? But she did it. Well, I think she turned it down to 18.5. And then she mysteriously vanished. I don't know where she went, and so by this point, my mother, who's quite a strong-willed, um, I love her, I'll say that, but she's very strong-willed, decided, I've had enough of this. I'm going to go to the DVD CD cupboard, and I'm going to do it myself. I'm going to touch the Holy of Holies, and I'm going to turn it right down. And she got caught red-handed <laughs> in the act. And there was, I was at the front at this point, an audible, get out of my cupboard! <laughs> and it all kicked off. <laughs> It's like, I was trying to have a wedding, there's guests coming in, and I just thought, ooh, and my brother was stood next to me, and you know what he said to me? He said, oh, 
I thought she was someone who's supposed to follow Jesus. And I thought, oh, carry a thankful heart. It matters so much. Even in something as trivial as that, carrying a thankful heart matters so much. And I get sometimes it can be really hard. But there's got to be underpinning everything of thankfulness that Jesus loves us, that he's died for us, that he rescued us, that he gives us hope and a future. That has to underpin everything, even on our worst days. Our worst days are still okay because we've got Jesus, right? We have to believe that. Our worst days are still okay because we have Jesus. Please carry a thankfulness for what God does in your heart and don't let comparison steal that away because we need to showcase the kingdom of heaven. Fourth point that I see in this parable is about promoting others above ourselves. The reason that the, the 6 a.m. crew were upset was they thought others had been promoted above themselves. They thought they'd been given a rough ride. Well, actually, the Christian call is to promote others above ourselves. The Christian call, the Christian life is to humble ourselves and to get out of the way to showcase Jesus. And, and that's got to be something that as a church, I want us to continue to come back to that every time we're together, it's about Jesus. Always about Jesus. Always will be about Jesus. It's all for Jesus. If we ever stop talking about Jesus, we're doing something wrong. Because he's the one who makes the difference. He's the one who rescues. He's the one who loves And Jesus is the ultimate example of laying down his life as he sacrificed himself for others. He promoted you above his own needs. We get that, right? Jesus loved us so much, he said, I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to take the hit. I'm going to, all the stuff, all the rubbish, all the sin, all the shame, all the rebellion, all the anti-God stuff. I'm going to take that upon myself because I love those people and I want them to be free. I want them to know me. I want them to enjoy life. I want them to enjoy God. And so to serve means this, laying down our own agenda and get on board with what God is doing. That is what the laborers in the vineyard needed to do. To say, I need to see the big picture here, that actually the mission of God matters more than my own little mission. Getting on board with what God is doing. And so often, because of all this stuff and our our own hearts, we undervalue others and overvalue ourselves. That is, that is like the human condition, isn't it? We, we, over, we undervalue one another, but we overvalue ourselves. But I tell you, the countercultural God way is to flip that on its head, is, is, to, is to value others before ourselves. Not to, not to think we're worthless and we're terrible people and to be like really down on ourselves, but that we would put the needs of others ahead of our own. And I think a huge part of that is cheering one another on. You know, sometimes we can, the, that kind of stuff I was talking about, about how comparison kills, to cheer one another on defeats that. To be like, actually, you're doing amazing. And you know what, one of the most, I think, undervalued gifts that we can cultivate and grow in is the gift of encouragement. Wouldn't it be amazing if if we we all had that gift of encouragement, that we all encouraged one another on the way? Because it's true, isn't it? Someone can say 10 beautiful things about me. They can say lots of, no, 10 might be pushing it. They can say like, uh, I, I was trying to think of some nice things about myself. They can say some nice things about me. But it will be that one negative thing that we might cling to, right? That's how we work, isn't it, as human beings, right? And we forget those 10 positive things. So actually, let's be encouragers of one another. 
Let's be delighted when other people are succeeding. When someone's doing really well, let's be like, oh, that is amazing. Praise God for that. Wow, you've, you're growing in your faith. That's amazing. Not, oh, I wish I had that. But maybe it would spur us on to want more of God in our own life. We need to be people that cheer one another on. Because you know what? And this is the, the point I want to get to as we kind of come to the end of, I think, what this Jesus is trying to get at is this. For us as human beings, being part of God's family is all of grace. The 6 a.m. crew were no more deserving than the 5 p.m. crew. But it was the kindness, the love, and the grace of God to every single one of us that means we can be brought and we can be part of God's family. That's true, isn't it? Whether it happens when we're six years old or we're 60 years old, it's God's grace and kindness to us. None of us deserve the gift of new life that God offers to us in Jesus. We know that, right? Not one of us deserves it. Not one of us is entitled to it. But God freely gives it to us. That's why the cross is so amazing. Because it transforms us. Because it takes people that were far off from God, rebellious, myself included. Jesus bridges the gap and says, I love you. Put your trust in me. And if we put our trust in him, if we're set to work, if the master comes to us and says, I want you part of my family and we go to work, we're in. Our life is transformed. We're given the gift of new life because Jesus sacrificed himself for us. And this question, I think, just goes round in my head quite often. Is, do you want your life to count? Do you want your life to matter? Because I want my life to count for something. Has anyone heard of a guy called Billy Sunday? I mean, maybe one or two of you have. But most of us would be like, it's just a name. Never heard of him. Well, Billy Sunday was an evangelist back in the, uh, the 30s. And um, he would do crusades in America. And he would tell people about Jesus. And uh, one of these, a guy called Mordecai Ham, came to faith. And then he did a whole load of uh, evangelism and he traveled around. And then a young man called Billy Graham came to faith through the ministry of Mordecai Ham. And then we've all heard of Billy Graham, haven't we? Because he's preached to more than 200 million people. Now, if we're talking about legacy, we may never have heard of Billy Sunday. But his life matters, doesn't it? What he did mattered. I don't know anything of his wealth, of what car he drove, of how he dressed, of what he looked like. But there's a lasting legacy of he shared Jesus. And then someone else came to faith. And then someone else came to faith. And then through that, I guarantee there's people here today who are here because Billy Graham preached, right? Or they've got members of their family that they heard that. And then actually, you're part of that chain. You're part of that story. Which is absolutely remarkable. And it's all because people respond to the life-transforming message of Jesus And when you respond to the life-transforming message of Jesus, your life makes sense. It's as if you become the person you were always destined to be. It's as if you realize that you did have a God-shaped hole in your heart and that now you've found satisfaction, now you've found purpose, now you've found meaning. Now for me, when I die, I hope my lasting legacy is that people have heard about Jesus. That's got to be the most important thing. When I talk about legacy, 
when I talk about our lives counting, it's not about us. It's about him.